1: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: This was the first time in this movie, Thousands Cheer, but but he didn't even have a song and he didn't have a partner. And so he, he just decided to dance to a song that he knew, Let Me Call You Sweetheart. And and he picked up a mop and decided to use a mop as his prop. And obviously he used everything in the room then uh, as part of that. But I, th- it's one of my favorite numbers because I think it's so imaginative and so well done and so athletic. I mean, it's I, when I when i screen that in the shows i can hear there's an audible gasp in the audience when he does the kip up from the just he's flat and then he just is upright
0: Hey, what's going on? It's me, Roscoe, founder and host of Built for the Stage podcast, Broadway's number one fitness platform. If you'd like to try a free trial, go to the website builtforthestage.com and we'll get on our way with seven days of workouts and consultations and conversations with a personal coach. Once again, thanks to the producing family that we have here at the broadway podcast network they're always so helpful so supportive and so full of other amazing podcasts the number is growing it seems daily so if you're interested in other broadway-based podcasts you can go to bpn.fm All right. Today's an exciting episode. We're going to be kicking off a new mini-series called The Sport of Dance. And this guest that we have on the show today uh, could not be any more appropriate of a guest. I'm super excited about this. So I'm just going to get right to it in welcoming Patricia Ward-Kelly to the podcast. Welcome, Patricia.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to join you today. Oh, it's my
0: pleasure. So for everyone listening... Patricia is the widow of the late Gene Kelly. He's actually a uh, childhood hero of mine, and someone as a former athlete and performer um, had such a huge impact on my life. And we're going to get into uh, Gene's life and his career a bit. And Patricia has actually spent, really since she's met Gene, Uh, or met Gene in the the past, laying out his historic and prolific life. Um, And we're going to kind of unwind and unravel uh, their relationship and just his legacy that he left behind. And that word is something very important um, to Patricia, especially um, as it ties into her daily work. Um, uh, Patricia, when I was, uh, growing up my sophomore year of high school, I was able to do a production of Brigadoon and, uh, growing up, I, I knew of singing in the rain, but I, I didn't really know who Gene Kelly was. Um, uh, my family, they weren't into the arts, um, a great deal, but I started theater in seventh grade and finally in, uh, my sophomore year of high school, when I, uh, Book the role. I'll say I, I was cast in the role of Tommy. My choir teacher at the time said, "Okay, well, you need to watch uh, Brigadoon with Gene Kelly," and that's when I was like, "Wow, look at this guy, just like owning the screen." Um, and then I later went on to read uh, the book A Life of Dance and Dreams, the DVD uh, Anatomy of a Dancer. Just like really fell in love with Gene Kelly. Um, And I see in your story uh, that you were a journalist and that you were in the midst of working on a documentary for the Smithsonian Museum, and it was hosted by Gene, and that's how you two met. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, the grand irony is that uh, I'm one of the few people in the world who did not know who Gene Kelly was when I met him. I was a very nerdy Herman Melville scholar. My specialty was American literature and particularly the author of Moby Dick. And so uh, I I didn't go to the movies a lot, and I certainly wasn't into musical theater. And so I spent a week with Gene uh, working on this script about the Smithsonian, not having any idea that he was this incredibly famous man. And so we literally bonded over words. It was over... My pet study in graduate school was etymology, word origins, and poetry, and those just happened to be gene studies as well. So we, by the middle of the week, I mean, he spoke French, he spoke Italian, he spoke. Yiddish. He read Latin. He very often read a book a day. He was an economics major. He was really the true Renaissance man. And by the middle of the week, I was absolutely enchanted with him. I, he was also dr- drop-dead gorgeous and and just this m- magnificent mind and facility with his mind and wonderful way of speaking and obviously a very uh, classy classic man and so but it wasn't until uh the end after the end of the shooting that he had given me his phone number and I gave him mine and he drove away in a limousine and somebody said you know that guy's really famous you ought to go down to the video store and ask for Gene Kelly and I did and about 48 movies later I I kind of wondered what turnip truck I had fallen off of to not know about this huge part of the 20th century. But I always, in retrospect, I think it was the way to get to know him because I never, I didn't have any preconceived notions. And so he came to me as a blank slate. And then when he asked me to come out to California and then asked me to stay on and write his memoir with him, uh, i I really started w- not knowing anything about the man or about his career, and I think that was the way to do it because even the the book that you mentioned and the documentary are are two things that he i don't even recognize that man in either of those things that's not the man I knew it's not the man i interviewed uh they're not factually accurate and so I think that there's so much misinformation out there about him and uh, or people just don't know very much. They just see him up on screen and they don't realize that he wanted to be remembered for being behind the camera. He really didn't care about performing. He wanted to be remembered for being a director and choreographer and for changing the look of dance on film and creating a particularly American style of dance and just the other day on Facebook somebody wrote they said i had no idea he directed hello dolly and they don't recognize that he directed singing in the rain and on the town and that he directed the ballet in american in paris and and that's what i try to kind of push out there because those were the things that were really pivotal those are things that changed the whole history of film and that was that's what he what he wanted wanted people to know about him so i had another position
0: i came across uh connecting with you from your instagram gene kelly legacy and you do a an amazing job on a daily basis just giving little tidbits of of his history um and then i got into seeing that you have a, a show that you were you were touring i guess gene kelly the legacy could you tell us a little bit about that
2: the, I created a, a one-woman show uh, back in 2012. Gene would have been 100 years old that year. And the Academy of Motion Pictures always does a kind of tribute to the legends. Uh, and there were wonderful evenings, but often it was kind of, they would look to whoever was still alive who was could still speak about that person. And, and since I knew Gene was so particular about how he wanted to be remembered, And often in a way that people don't even think of him, I went to the Academy and asked if I could create the evening and uh, remarkably, and to their credit, they let me do that. And so that was the first night and it just kind of took off like wildfire. Then went to Lincoln Center in New York and it's been touring for the last eight years. And then I also created a Live symphonic cinema tribute to him with seventy musicians on stage with me and a conductor, and each of these—I mean—I kind of describe them as they're not really a show. Isn't quite the right word. Um, I, in a way, the one-woman show is more of a conversation. It's more this kind of tone to try to take people into Gene and to really to understand his heart and his mind and the way that he worked and the way his his creativity worked and also the kind of man he was the kind of uh, really decent man of great integrity and so I always describe that particular evening as a that you're kind of getting in a little boat with me and you don't know quite where, where you're going but you go and by the end of it um, you you have a a much better understanding of who he was and what drove him and what inspired him, what touched him. And people come out of it and they'll say, "I, you know, I loved him before, but I love him even more now because they, they really have no idea of the many, many dimensions to him. And I think it's kind of a loss because there was so much to him that, and I think especially that young people can learn from him and these dimensions so i think it's really import, important to expose them so that they have a better understanding
0: yeah do you think that with some of the greats in in the arts that this is a a common loss per se where the representation of a of a person's career past is is skewed a bit and and how have you found, besides your show, like other ways of just clarifying the message?
2: Well, I think um, that's an interesting question in the sense of other people. I mean, I, ca- I can speak most accurately about Gene, obviously, because I'm intimately involved with that story. I think, I think legends are these... People that are larger than life, uh, our sense of them is often skewed, and and there are many of them that I I met with Gene, and you see them up on the screen, and you think one thing, and then you meet them, and you think something completely different. So, the thing about Gene is he seems different to me in a sense because I don't think a lot of these people had more dimensions than you're really aware of. I mean, I don't think I've never really seen anybody who has the breadth of knowledge, the breadth of experience, the breadth of, of subjects that Gene had. I I think I think a lot of people um I, I really haven't, I haven't I have never encountered that kind of mind and I've never encountered somebody. I mean, Gene, people would say, oh, Mr. Kelly, Mr. Kelly, what should I study? Meaning what form of dance should I study? And Gene said everything. And he meant everything. He didn't mean Spanish dance, jazz, tap, modern. He meant history, literature, politics, economics, Poetry, literature, and certainly every form of dance, and also every form of movement. I mean, he was a trained gymnast, a trained acrobat, and so I think I think Gene is unusual in that because a lot of the people actually they were kind of when you met them were sort of less than what you had hoped that they would be. Gene is much more. Um, Gene, there was much more to him than I than anybody really realized.
0: Well, to your point, the the art of dance is really telling a story. So, I guess the more you know, and the more uh, well read or well versed you are, the more depth you can bring to your storytelling, or in this case, your dance.
2: Well, and you've you've linked two important things, which is what how Gene's dance differed from his predecessors was precisely what you're saying is that Gene wanted to use the dance to propel the story. And before that in Hollywood, uh, you would look at dance numbers and they're generally inserted into the, the movie. So it, they, they'll have a dance team often, and then they stop and perform on a polished floor and perform on a stage. And, and then they stop and then the story resumes. So you can literally cut that number out of the movie and it doesn't alter the story. Jean's whole thing was that the dance tells the story. And so, and something like singing in the rain an iconic thing like that is probably one of your best examples of it, because what better way to say you're in love than to, to uh, send off the cab and to, literally dance and and sing and splash in the puddles and things. And so I think that that's, it's, it's using the movement um, in a different way. It's not just putting movement to music. It's actually having the movement convey emotion to convey, uh, it, it basically steps in for words for Gene and, and that you just didn't see beforehand. You see it more now, but not uh, not before Gene. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and
1: luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your
2: luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday.
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VDW. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to point out the number. Let me call you sweetheart as well with with the mop and all the props that he uses um, from your conversations with Gene and your knowledge of, of that number in particular. Um, or... Um, You Wonderful You with the creaky board and the newspaper, just his way of um, using uh, props and his surroundings to kind of really tie the story all together. Um, Are there any favorites of yours from numbers like that that he shared with you as far as the creation
2: of them? Well, those are two of my favorites and happen to be in my shows. Uh, the, The mop dance is is notable because that was the first time that Gene ever got to choreograph and stage a number for MGM. So that was, and the, and the funny thing is that they didn't even MGM really didn't even know what to do with Gene. They, they didn't get it. They didn't understand what he was trying to do. And it was very frustrating for him because he couldn't really get an opportunity to choreograph, but this was, this was the first time in this movie thousands cheer But but he didn't even have a song and he didn't have a partner and so he he just decided to dance to a song that he knew. Let me call you sweetheart and and he picked up a mop and decided to use a mop as his prop and obviously he used everything in the room then uh, as part of that. But it's one of my favorite numbers because I think it's so imaginative and so well done and so athletic. I mean it's when I when I screen that in the shows, I can hear there's an audible gasp in the audience when he does the kip up from the, just he's flat and then he just is upright. And uh, you, you hear men and women in the audience just gasping because that's a, that's a fairly tricky move. And he just does everything. It appears so effortless. And yet this was very rehearsed and Gene choreographed everything in his mind. It was all in his head, and he would sit down and write it out much more like a writer than I think people always imagine. He sort of gets up on stage and wiggles around, and that's how he came up with his ideas. It wasn't like that at all. It was a very cerebral process. And he had a little screen that ran in his head, and he could see the numbers as they played out, and then he would go the next day and either put them on another dancer or on himself as the case of that. And the newspaper dance was, it originally, the uh, the idea of the torn newspaper came from a good friend of his, a, a choreographer named Nick Castle, who invited Gene over to his house. And he's, he just had this, had come up with this sound of tearing a newspaper and Gene said, Oh, that's great. And he encouraged Nick to use it in his own numbers. And and Nick said, no, 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 it's for you. And then Gene realized he needed another sound to counter that. And and it took him a while, uh, kicking things and knocking around and finally came across the squeaky board and you have this wonderful balance. But uh, that, I mean, that's, again, this ex- again, the audience gasped because it's just, it's it's such a rigorous number and yet so charming. I mean, it's whimsical. And Gene, when I forced him to watch it with me, he said, I, you know, I didn't really realize it when I created it, but I can see now that my childhood hero, Buster Keaton, was a, a big influence on that. So it's that kind of... I mean, I I sit there on a stool during my show and I know what's coming. So I know what's going to happen in that number and I, I just wait, and then the audience just laughs and giggles at the point where you know he's playing playing with the board and everything. and it's I you know I think it's one of the what's what I think is so great about it is that that's nineteen fifty when that that came out and and yet it still is current. It's still contemporary. It's still what everybody's going to. All the choreographers and all the dancers are all. Uh, most of them can't do it themselves. I mean, frankly, most of the dancers can't recreate that number. I've never seen anybody do it um, completely. I, I just saw a woman do it the other day in a version of it that was really charming. But it's tough. I mean, these are really hard things to to master.
0: Speaking of hard things to master, what made Gene Kelly attempt to dance on roller skates? What What's the backstory of, of that number?
2: Well, and that's the, what he did in uh, the movie, It's Always Fair Weather. and But that was uh, the roots of that. It was actually something that he and his younger brother did in amateur nights around Pittsburgh and the Ohio line in high school and college. To, Gene used it as a way to try to put himself through college. And they would go off and they were both... Uh, really good. Jean was a very good gymnast and a very good acrobat. And they uh, would do kip-ups and all kinds of uh, much more aggressive than what is actually in that film. Gene said that was kind of a pared down version, given that he was uh, considerably older at that point. But they would tap dance on roller skates and often won first prize in these amateur nights. And so Gene incorporated that in It's Always Fair Weather. And again, that's, that's one of my favorites because... It's it's performed to Andre Previn's uh, "Can It Be I Like Myself" and it's it's so charming and it you know he's kind of he's he's sort of I mean he's he's shrugs and and he's thinking you know if this woman is in love with me um, you, you know can it can it be that I I like myself and and you just have to love him when he does it and and. And then he roller skated again. I mean, he he didn't do that type of um, that type of tap dancing, but he did roller skate again in Xanadu. So in 1980, he was uh, he did all of the skating himself in that. So he was a very very good uh, not only roller skater, but he was an excellent ice skater. He was a, a very dynamic hockey player, and in fact, wanted to play hockey. Professionally, as a young boy, he his uh, dad used to ice down the spray the backyard, and it would freeze, and Gene would scoot around on that, and then they would play uh, to the death, essentially out on the ponds. But there was no professional team in Pittsburgh, and so he otherwise had there been a team, very likely Gene would have gone on and been a hockey player or a baseball player, which was his other choice. So. All of the, those things, that type of movement, any kind of movement came very easily to him. He said he, he ran like the wind. He, he had a, uh, not only a stamina, but he had a grace to everything that he did. He, it was terrific uh, muscular legs and arms uh, from the gymnastics, but also this beauty and grace in, in his movement.
0: Yeah, something I loved knowing about him when I was growing up is I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, which is just oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just about an hour from Pittsburgh. Um, growing up, as a one of my sports was baseball as well, um, and eventually getting to know uh, the TV special that we we discussed before the interview um, in 1958, Dancing a Man's Game, um, where Gene related uh, a lot of different sports um, to the movements of dance. And, you know, you, you hear the title Dancing a Man's Game. Um, now, you know, in 2020, we'd like to say it's everyone's game. But I think the point, and you can obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the point in th- at that time is just uh, opening people's eyes to the relevance, the difficulty, the parallel nature of sports and dance. Um, can you help it just touch a little bit more about that in my opinion, amazing TV special he did with other pro athletes?
2: Well, I think at that point, uh, it was really because the stigma of a male dancer was so strong. And and sadly, I mean, yes, I would love to say that dancing today is everyone's game. Uh, certainly that's the goal. And yet th- th- we're still talking about this and the stigma is still there. And in fact, I, I had wrote a few pieces about that uh, last year and did several interviews about it because it and it just astonishes me that here 60 years later it's still a part of a conversation I mean I think Jean had really hoped that by showing that the dance moves are exactly as you said parallel to a football throw or a tennis swing or uh, a baseball, Movement uh, that they that they're all interconnected. That we could finally begin to let down, uh, get away from this stigma. That that somehow it's it's odd for a boy to want to be a ballet dancer, or odd for a boy to want to dance. And I think it's broken down somewhat now because you do have quite a few very strong male figures but i think it still is something that a lot of parents still think it's it's something that they don't want their children to go into and so we just keep working on it and kind of trying to knock that down but i mean even something jean in that sequence in that in that omnibus special i'm sure you remember just showing the di- the connection between fencing uh, and classical ballet. And Jean trained as a fencer. He trained with a Belgian fencing master in order to perform in the Three Musketeers so he could do his own stunts. And right. the thing is, the footwork as he demonstrated with the uh, Olympic fencing team is the same as as the movement of the feet in classical ballet. And it actually started, men began as dancers and men, women didn't come into dance until very late in the, in the picture and men, all of the movement was a kind of protective kind of movement for battle. Um, the balletic movement is by you move by your side with fencing. You're turned to the side so that you have less of your body exposed. So he went through all of the history of all of this, and I think had really hoped that that would would put that subject to rest. And I think he'd be very sorry that it 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 still is something that we we need to even consider at this point. But but he was so sophisticated in understanding. He felt that in order to be a dancer, you you needed to not only study all forms of dance, but you needed to understand the history of dance. And so he went and when he was young in the 30s, most of the history of dance was not even in English, it was in French. And so he went to the University of Chicago library and read all of the treatises, the histories of, of dance and choreography in French to to better understand the art form so he was just a he was just this <laughs> immense brain of and like a sponge he just soaked up anything not only information but any kind of movement so he was always watching contemporary dance so he would study the street dancers in New York and hip hop and body popping and all of these different things he was constantly absorbing all the new trends new music and things so it was I mean he was a cool guy I mean he was he was not this stuffy old guy he was he was really cool and in fact I just posted yesterday a picture of his converse tennis shoes because he wore the Chuck Taylors and uh, he used those for tennis he used them for volleyball and everything else so he was kind of cool even with his clothes.
0: Yeah, everyone listening, uh, once again, that's at Gene Kelly Legacy. We'll put that in the description of this episode. Um, I also subscribed uh, my email to genekelly.com that you are working on currently. Is there anything that we can look forward to from you as far as uh, new projects to come as far as the Gene Kelly Legacy?
2: Well, it's a lot, actually. Um, since I'm not able to tour with the two shows now, uh, I decided that I would get back to work on the book that Jean actually brought me to California to write uh, many moons ago. And it's a great time to be able to do it. I mean, sorry for the circumstances, but I-, I otherwise never had this kind of focused time to concentrate. And I think it's people have always asked me that, you know, why has it taken so long to write the book about Gene. And it really, it's not like I'm writing about Ernest Hemingway or Scott Fitzgerald or something. It, it's the person I lived with. And so it was an unusual situation. And it comes with a quite an emotional punch to it, to, to listen to his voice again, to read his words, to re- revisit uh, the notes that I made and recordings I made of him every day for over a decade. It's it, you know, it's, it's a plus and a minus. The p- great positive thing is I have these materials. The, the negative side is that it's, you know, it takes your breath away sometimes to see them. And so, uh, but I am focused on that. And then uh, the, all of the shows were all postponed and canceled and will be moved forward. So it looks like, uh, fingers crossed, we'll be able to roll out again with the show's come uh, you know, a year from now, we should be back in theaters uh, if, if it's safe to gather. And so I hope people will will sign up because then they'll know about all of those things. And then I inherited all of Gene's archives. So the things, the, the photographs, the manuscripts, the letters, the uh, kind of unusual things that um, were part of his life. And my idea is that those will all become available kind of in a virtual collection so that people all around the world will be able to have access to him in perpetuity because uh, as much as I would love to hang around forever, I don't think that will happen. So I have to make a provision so that people, uh, you know, if if, if you're in Australia, you would be able to access it. If you're in New York, if you're in... Hawaii or someplace uh, so that it isn't just limited to one spot, but that that's going to take more time and effort and, and finances to pull that off. But that's kind of down the line. And, but it'll be my book. And then a series of books of the beautiful photographs of Gene, uh, many of them done by uh, friends of his who were great professional photographers and uh, and then the the shows, and then this virtual collection. So it's it's a it's pretty much full time work from now on. But uh, and then also the thing with Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and all of these things. As, as you know, I do try to respond to everything personally. So I, people often, I think, are surprised that I'm actually the one posting things and commenting. And I I don't know, I hope I can continue to do that. It takes a huge amount of time now each day, but I love it. Um, I love the connection with people and I find I've learned so much from people and I've learned, um, when I first got onto social media, I thought I was a little nervous about it because I was worried that it would be kind of silly that people would just post kind of silly things and It's not been that way at all. I'm incredibly proud of the things that people write. And in fact, I'm constantly doing screenshots and saying, I hope you don't mind if I use this sometime, because I think what people bring to it um, is their own perception and how they're touched by something and Since I came to him in such a different way, I didn't have that experience. But a lot of these people grew up with him, as you know, or touched the way you were. And I I love the fact that they're sharing these incredible stories about their own lives. So I I feel like um, I just was reading some notes that with an interview I did with Gene about about his work on the Broadway stage, which he preferred to performing in movies because he felt it was so important, that connection with the audience. And I had forgotten that he, I had recorded that. I didn't remember that comment from him. And I I found that in doing my own shows, a lot of people will come out and they'll say, how can you do this? I mean, it's so emotional. How do you do this? And I said, well, actually, you're helping me to deal with the absence of him because it isn't just that I'm up there talking. It's two ways. I mean, it takes two of us to make this work. And I was really, I w- it was really interesting to find that comment that Gene said essentially the same thing. It's the audience is as important as he is up on that stage. And I think I think if I, I were giving any uh, advice, which I don't Tend to do to people, young people, and particularly people on stage. That's an important thing to keep in mind. That it's it goes both ways. So it's yeah. a it's a nice thing to be able to connect with people.
0: Yeah, it's, there's nothing like a, a live experience. Um, his debut was Pal Joey. Was
2: well, no, 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 no. He was in Leave It to Me. Um, he was one. He was just a little. He was. Uh kind of a one of four male dancers who were, they were all on the side of Mary Martin. And that was okay. Mary, Mary Martin singing, My Heart Belongs to Daddy. And yeah. Mary Martin became an overnight sensation. And Gene is just kind of the little guy next to her, along with three other guys. And uh, a real turning point for him on, on the Broadway stage was the time of your life, which, um, the Bill Soroyan play, and Gene was supposed to play Harry the Hoofer. He was supposed to be a non-dancer, but just kind of doing some little movement on stage. And he said it it was where he really first began to understand this concept, that the movement tells the story. And that, that for him, and it was after that, that he then Starred in Pal Joey, and that a lot of people call that the pivotal Broadway show. Gene thought the Time of Your Life was more pivotal for him personally, but obviously um, starring in Pal Joey, then just that he was a huge sensation on uh, really overnight, just incredibly famous, and a lot of people saw him in that and. A lot of people wanted him to come out to Hollywood, so he actually turned down Hollywood for several years because he didn't think he was ready to come out here. Uh, and I think a lot of people wouldn't do that if they got an offer to come to Hollywood; they would jump at that chance. But Gene said, "No, no, I need to, I need to study more out here." So,
0: mm. fabulous. Well, Patricia, that's going to wrap up our interview for today. Thank you so much for your time. Um, everyone that's listening, once again, um, please give her uh, profile on Instagram a follow. Um, that's Jean Kelly Legacy. Um, go to the website, geneKelly.com, fill out your email and get up to date on anything new that's coming up, the book or future performances. Thanks so much, Patricia.
2: Oh thank you for having me. It's been a real delight and I look forward to seeing you in person one day.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, as as a kid growing up in a driveway maybe pretending to be Michael Jordan shooting baskets, that's who Gene Kelly was to me on the stage growing up. You know, he was still to this day um as a performer, uh he is the person I would try to emulate my myself after. So, um yeah, I, I the the people that you're describing that you screenshot, I'm I'm one of those people for sure.
2: Well, I, he would appreciate that, and I certainly do. So take good care, and thank you for reaching out. I I appreciate your help, and his legacy will I think will last. But it is nice to just keep introducing him to younger audiences and keep it rolling forward because I think anybody who sees him, they're they're pretty knocked out by it. So. Thank yeah. you and take good care.
0: Absolutely. Okay, that was Patricia Ward-Kelly. This is Bill for the Stage podcast. I'm Joe Roscoe. We're part of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can check them out at bpn.fm. If you want that free trial, go to the website BillForTheStage.com. Thanks again. Later.
1: 18 plus.